I think it's really important for people to recognize that security is essential for progress on climate change. Welcome to the Protect the Future podcast. I'm your host, Pilar Nalwimba. In this series, I'll be going behind the scenes at NATO headquarters to get to know the NATO experts. Together, we'll discuss global challenges that they work on from climate change, disinformation and the impacts of the war against Ukraine. I won't be doing this alone, though, as I've been speaking to young content creators along the way who've put their questions to our NATO experts. So... Join me as we explore some of the big global issues that impact our lives and influence our future. In this episode, we're deep diving into all things climate change. So join me as I discover how climate change is affecting people's lives, what it means in the context of our safety and security, how the next generation can get involved, and the role new technologies play in helping us tackle the climate crisis. I went down to the NATO HQ to meet up with James Apatharai, Deputy Assistant Secretary General for Emerging Security Challenges, to find out a little bit more about NATO's involvement. Hello there. Lovely to meet you here at the NATO HQ. Pleasure, you're very welcome. Thank you. It's a really impressive building. For me, it feels very much like a uni campus. Everything that you need is here. Do you ever need to leave the office? Well, the, I think the reason everything we need is here is because there's nowhere to go. We're kind of in the <laughs> middle of nowhere. Please have a seat. Thank you. So, James, when I think of NATO, I don't instantly think of climate change. So I would love to know, like, why is climate change of interest to NATO? And would you say NATO is equipped to deal with an issue such as climate change? So you're not the only person who doesn't connect NATO and climate change. And NATO didn't connect to climate change until a few years ago. You couldn't find that word in any NATO policy document. So we thought there's plenty of organizations that are focused on climate change outside of the security area, but none that is really leading when it comes to the security implications. And that's what NATO does. Security is essential for progress on climate change. It is not something you substitute for it. There is really a silver lining here because by investing in green tech more quickly, we actually enhance our energy resilience. We reduce our dependency on Russia, for example, by moving more towards renewables for all of our facilities, all our bases and housing, uh, then we don't depend on others. So that's really good. And by moving towards like smart camps where we have, you know, AI running the energy requirements, then we can reduce them. Uh, so we see a lot of upside in this forced transition. One of the challenges, though, is a lot of green tech depends on rare minerals and rare earths that are processed and or owned by another country one country, which is China. And we have to make sure that we don't create a new strategic dependency on a potentially unreliable supplier for green tech. So that's very much uh, something we watch and we have to create the capacity to process the materials that we need to transition off of Russian oil and gas in a sustainable way. How can we as individuals help with the climate crisis? I would say there's a few things. One is get involved. That alone is important. And 
The second thing I would say is, maybe this doesn't sound great, but I, I say this to my kids. Just walking around or posting something, it's good, it's awareness, it doesn't solve the problem. We actually have to do concrete things. Some of those things are what some of the activists are doing. They're actually putting concrete proposals to politicians. We need change at the macro level, at the industrial level. So it's focusing on the big things that companies do and that governments do and getting big changes at those levels. So it sounds like NATO's got a big task on their hands. Now, I know I'm not the only one with questions on these topics. So as part of this podcast series, we want you guys to send in your questions, whether you're a young activist, researcher, listener, you name it. We'll have more details in the show notes. To find out a little bit more, chemistry student Saskia Braun sent in a question about NATO's commitments to reducing its emissions. Are there any collaborations between NATO and industry or academia to develop new ways to adapt to climate change? The answer is absolutely yes. We have taken a decision to work towards increasing the amount of synthetic fuel that our forces use. We have big fleets. So if we take a decision to use synthetic fuels, it makes a big difference. So if I use a liter of synthetic fuel compared to a liter of normal fuel in a jet plane, I get the same amount of power and range, but an 80% reduction in carbon emissions. So are you saying if someone's using synthetic fuel or like biofuel or anything, it doesn't stop their ability to operate in the same way? In no way does it change it. You can still do everything you wanted to do, but it's more expensive and there's not enough of it. So what we have to do is get more of it. That will bring the cost down. So uh, we are working right now on ways to do that. I'll give you one concrete example. We just took a decision that the NATO pipeline network, NATO runs pipelines, oil pipelines, all around Western Europe, including the airport here, and most of the airports get their fuel through the NATO pipeline system. We just took a decision to put synthetic fuel in there, so into the mix. So that'll make a difference already. And we're working to set a voluntary target for all NATO countries to start moving synthetic fuel into their fuel mix as well. So if we could get a 10% target across the NATO countries, all the fuel that they use, it'll make a big difference. And that's what we're working towards. So we're looking at how do we change our equipment? How do we change our facilities? How do we power our facilities? Uh, but also, can we invest in new technologies uh, to get there? We have a, uh, a new program to engage with startups and we've asked them to look at dual-use technologies that we can use also to deal with uh, climate change. And uh, we have a 1 billion euro investment fund that we're just standing up now. And one of its jobs will be to invest in what we call deep tech that relates to uh, addressing the security implications of climate change. Meg Hayward-Sullivan is a climate communicator and a student at Harvard. Essentially, she loves all things climate. She wanted to put her question to James. How would you like to see youth voices and communicators celebrate NATO's sustainability progress while simultaneously holding it accountable for its ambitious promises? I'll give you a, a concrete example. I am working with the Harvard Undergraduate Foreign Policy Students Association and what I've asked them to do is a clear project. I said, look, here's nine emerging technologies. I want you students 
to look at four of them to find out which ones have the best investment opportunity to help reduce greenhouse gas emissions, to contribute to climate solutions. And they're working on that and they're going to come back to us and I will take their advice. That's a concrete contribution to how NATO will make climate change and security. Okay, who would you say is responsible for holding the countries in the alliance accountable? Well, they will be accountable in two ways. First and foremost, to themselves, to their parliaments, to the decisions that they've taken and announced. But they will also report to us. So we can't hold them to account, but we will know what's happening. We will make it available to all allies. And if they, the member states, decide, we can also make it public. There's a real need for transparency. And I'll, I'll say this, this Secretary General, he's really committed to climate issues. And one of the points he's made to me and to many people is, the whole world is moving in this direction, to electrification, to net zero. There is no way politically or publicly that the security world, that the defense world is gonna be left alone. We have to be part of this. Even if we don't want to, it's going to come to us, so we may as well embrace it. So we intend to be transparent. So I wanted to end this interview by exploring what this interaction between peace and climate security means. We've got an energy crisis, a cost of living crisis that started as a result of the war in Ukraine. And with all of this going on, are we still really on track to hit 2050? So great question. Slightly complicated answer, so bear with me. First is, I think you've hit the nail on the head and people really need to understand that there are three things happening at the same time. On the one hand, because of the deteriorating security situation, we have to buy more military equipment, exercise it more and deploy it forward. I think it's really important for people to recognize that security is essential for progress on climate change. It's not that you can sacrifice your security now to get climate change. So demand for fuel is going to go up. On the other hand, we're getting off Russian oil and gas, supply down. And third, we have Paris Accord agreements to meet to reduce carbon emissions. And we have to do all three of those things at the same time. If we cannot get security, it puts net zero by 2050 at risk. If the governments around the world continue to descend into this strategic competition, if not outright hostility, it makes it all the harder to get to net zero. But if we don't get to net zero, then we're going to have a cascading effect of negative security implications, especially in the places that are the hardest hit, because there's going to be huge conflict over resources. The other essential uh, requirement is technological progress. We need investment in that. You know, the, the recent announcement that fusion technology had reached the point where they had a reactor provide more energy than was put into it. So with technological development, there can be progress, but peace is the prerequisite for climate progress.
And that's it for our first ever episode of the Protect the Future podcast. Thanks for listening in as we took a deep dive in all things climate change. I know that I definitely learned a thing or two whilst making this. I always knew that climate change was a threat to our environment. What I didn't realise is how closely it was linked to our security. I would love to hear if you've learned anything new, if you have any questions, we can continue this over on Twitter. You can find me on at Pillar of Society or you can use the hashtag Protect the Future. If you enjoyed this conversation, then please take a moment to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I'll be back for the next episode where I get to sit down with Awana Lungescu at the NATO HQ. We'll be discussing all things disinformation and exactly how it impacts our day-to-day lives.